Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Hi all, welcome. In this episode, we talk to Rosie Sherry. Rosie is a self-declared introvert and community builder extraordinaire. She's best known for the Ministry of Testing, Indie Hackers, Rosie.land and RecklessMother.com. More to follow on that later. Rosie builds communities and has done so for more than 15 years. It includes the Sherry community of Rosie, Graham and their five kids, aged 17 to 3, none of whom go to school. It's not that Rosie is looking to rebel, it's just that she seems to be clear about how she wants to spend her time and a a conventional path would not allow her to live life her way. So she designs her own made-to-measure life with little or no reference to the way most people live theirs. Rosie's approach is one where she just does stuff. If she enjoys doing it, she'll spend more time doing it. And then, because she's spending the time, she works out how to get paid to do it. Rosie is half Colombian, half Irish, sounds Scottish, was born in London, grew up in London, Indonesia and Colombia, moved back to London with no qualifications because she avoided school and now as a reaction to her unsettled childhood has settled near Brighton on the south coast of England. She had an entrepreneurial and spiritual mother and a father whose life was changed by an accident. It resulted in financial insecurity but the upside was that along with her brother, Rosie was forced to become independent. It seems her kids are pretty independent too. Their unschooling, as Rosie calls it, requires them to self-direct their own learning with a little nudge from mum or dad here and there. The setup means their kids teach each other, but it's still a time-consuming endeavour. Rosie is clear that successful communities, whether they be uh, work communities or her own, Uh, are places where there's trust, a common goal or set of interests and a way to simplify things. She's also a big believer that communities can solve most problems. Rosie works on herself. Like all of us, she doubts she can achieve things, but doubt does not prevent her from taking steps forward. She tries to remain positive. She believes things can change. Financial security is important. It's a reaction to the financial insecurity of her childhood and because it's important and she has the ability to change herself and although she is by no means rich, she does now have enough security to do what she wants to do, what she's passionate about. She is not afraid to lose her job or quit a job if it means doing what she wants to do. Easier said than done. It took her four years to leave her own company, the £1 million plus revenue Ministry of Testing. This conversation got me thinking, what can we do when we realise a job has reached the end of its natural life? Option one, we can hand in our notice and have faith that something will turn up. All well and good if you squirreled away a war chest that allows you time to find the next positive step. But the fear of not being able to pay our rent or our mortgage can force us to leap from the frying pan into the fire of another unsuitable job. Option two, we can stay where we are and save. This is a real option. If you know why you're doing a job to save money or acquire skills, for example, 
it helps us get out of bed in the morning. I imagine prisoners of war planning their escape have better mental health than those who are resigned to their fate. Option three, we can be open-minded about where we live and the lifestyle we live. There are always less expensive ways to live. Kids and other relationships don't always make this easy, but accommodation is much more flexible these days, if you are. We've had conversations on this podcast with quite a few nomads who work as they travel. In many senses, it's about working out what we're prepared to let go of in order to grow. There will be other options, um, but if I'm not prepared to make sacrifices in return for a better working life or a better life in general, then I'll struggle to change. But letting go of this and that might not be as painful as I imagine. In fact, my experience is that letting go of one story and replacing it with a better story, a story about what's important and what's not, is an uncomfortable process, but not as uncomfortable as continuing to value stories or ways of behaving that fail to serve me. This process is me surfing the edge of my comfort zone. Resma Menachem, author of My Grandmother's Hands, talks about the uncomfortableness of change as clean pain and the uncomfortableness of avoiding change as dirty pain. The problem with avoiding change is that it becomes a rut that becomes deeper and deeper, more and more difficult to get out of. Confronting your rut early is helpful and flirting with what you could do differently is often enough to climb out. I love Rosie's approach. She experiments. She does what she wants to do and then she finds a way to make it work financially. She started her newsletter Rosie.land and got frustrated with her ability to build a writing habit. So she turned it into a paid newsletter which left her no choice but to write on a regular basis. Making yourself accountable to someone or an audience is a good way of encouraging change. She is so very aware. The choices she and her family make are not necessarily the ones you or I would make, but every decision she makes seems to be done with care. And because she is unafraid of the path less travelled, there are plenty of options. It's not easy. She is not prepared to play the games many of us play and as a consequence has to invent her own, which means her spare time is extremely limited. She does what she can to combine things, childcare and running, for example. You might see it as hard work, but Rosie is coherent. She does what she thinks is important to do. Enjoy. Rosie Sherry, Reckless Mother. Can we jump straight in, Rosie? Yeah, I'm happy to. Okay. Um, so it's it's nice to be talking to you, and especially um, with the sun outside. Actually, we should have been doing this outside, shouldn't we? We should have figured a way to do that. Um, where we like to start is how how do you describe yourself to people? If people ask you what do you do, how do you tend to answer? Um, yeah, good question. These days I, I just call myself like a community builder. And then do people go, what does that mean? Yeah, especially like, well, like in tech, people like kind of understand it. But like, yeah, if I if I tell people like in Brighton or something, they're like, well, what is that? Um, 
or if I tell them like stuff like about Rosyland or anything like that, they're like, what? You know, I, I just don't think people really understand what I'm up to. And that is exactly why we're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, so, so I just had lunch before before this um, with my wife and she asked who, who was on the podcast and I, and I said, oh, it's a, a lady called Rosie and she's a community builder. And, and Emma's not really a tech person particularly, but she, she didn't really blink at that. And I, that, I think that's kind of interesting when you think about what does a community builder mean to anyone? And maybe, maybe it does mean different, different things to people that aren't thinking about it from a tech point of view. Yeah, possibly. Um, do, you see, do you see a difference? Uh, to be honest, no. Um, no, but yes, I guess. <laughs> maybe, it depends. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think there is a difference, but I think um, I think there is a difference in the way that people think about it. So, like in tech, people will often think about scaling communities a lot more than they would in real life. So, like you could have like a local, let's say the local salting community, for example. You could have like the, the Lido as as a community. People, you know, gather around that, but you know, it's not very tech focused it's very much on you know trying to achieve certain things and there's you know there's no plans to scale that in any kind of way but then when you come from it from like a tech background which is very much the the world that I'm in now it's like people you know I guess are far more ambitious with what they want to achieve with their communities Um, which can be good and bad I think um, I think quite often they're unre- unrealistic, but then at the same time, um, you can gather lots of people around products or communities or product-led communities, um, and you know that's you know that's a huge thing to manage. And what so what makes for a successful community? What's oh. Um, <coughs> A successful community is probably one that aligns with the vision and the goals and one that aligns with the people in it as well. So everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Or a similar page or like kind of walking in the same direction, I would say, rather than like a lot of communities that are kind of driven by businesses. They, you know, they, they become too business focused and they don't like focus on the people enough. Um, and then you might get other communities that are very people focused, but they have no idea to, how to kind of be su- sustainable um, longer term. So I think like, you know, having having that balance is, is pretty important these days. And um, it's tough. It's tough to kind of find that kind of sustainability balance and kind of prevent um, burnout amongst like the leaders of a community. Mm, it makes a lot of sense there's something you just said there that really really resonated with me that that kind of brands trying to throw community in rather than letting community be community and i saw a i think it was a paid ad by timberland the other the other day it really stood out for this reason because it just had like a picture of someone wearing some timberland boots or something and it said join the timberland community and i thought that just doesn't feel right i don't i don't think i want to join a community just because of a brand name i don't think i associate with people strongly enough around the brand name maybe i associate with people who 
like outdoors and like some of what the values of the brand are but but definitely not that it just felt like they'd really kind of got it back to front yeah so like in a situation like that ideally you want someone who's like a fan of Timberlake to be to you know be to, to be sharing those photos themselves and for them to then tap into those people that are sharing those photos and finding stories to share yeah, um, exactly. and uplifting them but yeah I mean a lot of brands kind of make make that mistake um, you know, they think that, you know, let's, let's just, you know, top down community, I guess, is, is how businesses often approach building communities. And it just, it just doesn't work. So coming, coming back to you as a community builder. So I, I, I know of you as um, Rosie, who runs the Indie Hackers community. Yeah. And that's, that's a really big, really, um, really well organized and well respected corner of the internet as i see it yeah. you were doing that for for quite some time weren't you so can you can you rewind the clock a bit and tell us a bit about how, how did that come about were you and and also maybe you can tell us a bit about when when do you feel community building started as something that you found your interest in yeah um so yeah i guess i'll, I'll start at the beginning of my journey which was in brighton um I ran, I started Go Geek Dinners, um, which were local meetups in Brighton. And that was like my first ever experience of community. I didn't really think of it as a community when I began. Um, but th that was just, just like, um, that, so that was like 2007. So going back quite a few years now. Um, what, what, what made you set it up, Rosie? I, I saw someone doing it in London and I thought, well, you know, Brighton could do with this, <laughs> so, okay. so I'm going to do it. So you, you'd, you'd been involved in something similar where it was women in tech meeting meeting up and well, kind of comparing notes and things? Kind of. I mean, I'd, I hadn't attended the one in London, but I, I just like saw it online and I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm a woman in tech. I'm surrounded by guys all the time. So, you know, this would be a good thing to do for, for the community. Um, and I posted it to like the local... I decided to do it and then I posted it to the local B&M group, Brighton New Media Group, which is like a list serve kind of thing. And it was just like from day one, it was just like really popular, sold out, um, like every time, uh, like 40 people attending. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I started it, I didn't see it as a community, but like as I was doing it, I was like, wow, this is kind of special. And um, I did that for, I guess, two years. And th that was really good, just like as like a confidence booster for myself. Sure. Um, like I'm really like <laughs> introverted, and you know I don't you know I'm not I'm not the kind of person that like who gets out there you know standing up on stage and you know socializing too much. So it's like you know it's a big thing for me to be able to kind of pull that together in in my kind of way, I guess. Did did you did you hesitate? So when you saw that in London, do you remember? looking at it thinking that that would be really cool but I don't know if that's me or do, or do you remember it being like I'm just going to do it because it feels like absolutely the right thing to do probably a bit of both I mean I had been hang I'd been hanging around like in the Brighton geek scene for a while so I had been to like a few meetups I knew what meetups were happening a few people knew me um so I think like I had a bit of confidence because I knew that people knew of me and I thought, you know, I kind of thought it was like a good enough idea that to, to go with. 
Mm-hmm. And there are other people locally like starting, you know, these kind of like grassroots kind of initiatives as well, meetups. And, you know, there's quite a lot going on around that time. So I thought, well, why not? <laughs> why not try? Um, and I think that's just kind of like how, how I do things. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I'm, I'm going to try that. Um, and that's, yeah, that's how I get myself into, <laughs> into uh, trouble. <laughs> and um, what did you, you know, it wasn't the natural thing for you to do because as you say, you're probably more on the introverted side. So there was a, there was a motivation to do it. What, what, what was that? I, you know what? I don't know. I, people ask me this a lot. It's like, what's my motivation with communities and, and like bringing people together? Um, and I, sometimes I think it's because like, I felt like I never belonged anywhere. Sometimes I like, I bring it back to that. Like I traveled around a lot when I was younger. I, you know, I, I didn't, you know, my, my friends would never last because I was traveling, stuff like that. Um, I came back to the UK when I was on my own, when I was 18 and I had to find my way. Um, stuff like that. I kind of like, you know, is that it? Quite, quite possibly like I wanted to find people to connect with mm. and we, we all want that right yeah you we know, all want we, that we, exactly. we, you know to some extent or another we're all looking for that yeah exactly so so that's why I hesitate in answering it is because I think we all want that to some extent um is that is that what drives me to believe that like communities are is is something that I'm like you know super super into I guess I, I don't know, but um, there's, de- there's definitely something inside me where, like, I think, like, communities is, like, the answer to almost every problem in the world. Um, <laughs> and I'm just, like, I, I just believe that in my heart, and that that's kind of what keeps me driving today. But, I, you know, I certainly didn't think like that when I started. Um, but, but I think... When, when you're talking about communities there, sorry to interrupt, when you're talking about communities, all you're talking about is groups of individuals, aren't you? Yeah, with so, groups that have something uh, similar or some kind of, um, something in common that they want to achieve, I guess. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. so, so you, you, got, you got the, um, uh, the geek girl community running and as you say it sounds like you just you just found uh, your tribe at the time there were other people that were looking for the same thing so it sounds like it was quite natural and it it kind of came together how how did that from from that point a couple of years in how did that morph into whatever it became and how did that then transform you into the next version of Rosie yeah so it was was the meetups and then so like there's two two kind of angles um that I ended up exploring. One was I was a tester at the time. I was a software tester. Um, so like when I was doing the meetups, I was exploring all these like online tools that were coming out. And I was like looking for excuses to like do stuff online, do community stuff online, do social media kind of stuff online. And so like as part of that, I started a community for, for software testers. And I kind of just, I, I did that um with with no expectations and I kind of started it a few people knew me and I just kept nurturing it over over time and also like at the same time that I was doing that um it's very much a side gig kind of mindset but um at the same time I was doing that I helped um start 
co-working space in Brighton. And that, you know, that to me again is like another another community that was the works. Um, so I did that for two years. And that, that was like almost like a level up from meetups. It's like, you know, for, for me, it was like, you know, I loved the idea of co-working and collaboration and bringing people together. And, and that was pr pretty amazing to like have this permanent space where I had like the, the freedom to, to do stuff together and bring people together. Mm. Um, I stopped that because of bad business relationships. So I kind of walked away from that in the end. But the whole experience as a whole was, you know, pretty, you know, it, it remains in my heart as like, a, you know, a really positive time that I met a lot of people. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I was doing that for a couple of years. And alongside that, I was doing um, Ministry of Tests and stuff as, as that was, you know, they were both kind of like growing together. Um, and then I stopped the co-working stuff, but I kept doing the Ministry of Testing stuff, which by that time had been going like, I don't know, three years or something. And um, a, a short while after that, I kind of decided that I was going to turn it into a business because it was like consuming a lot of my time up. So, um, yeah, so I decided to do events with that. Um, we had like a, you know, a reasonably active community I had built like enough trust and um, with with people people knew of, of what I was doing uh, I had experimented over time with like a few different ideas but um, with ministry of testing I kind of decided that for it to, to work um, I would turn it into business and I decided to like focus in on events so we did and just just to be clear what what, what it mean to turn it into a business was it that before you were just giving your time to it and it and it wasn't um monetized or or is there more to it than that yeah i mean pretty much it was like taking up a lot of my time um and i wasn't i was making like little bits of money here and there but not like anything significant and like i had to make like a personal choice is like do i keep doing this for free and you know feel a bit resentful that i'm spending mm. a lot of my time for free and when I could be focused on other aspects of my career or do I turn it into a business? And I thought I'm going to turn it into a business and make, see if I can make some money from it. And did you do the same thing at that point? Um, did it, was it that it just felt right? So you just went and did it or was there more validation? I, I felt, with Ministry of Testing, I felt like there was a need. There was definitely like a need for testers. Like there was no one like, out there standing up for testers in the same way as that like, you would have for designers, web designers, developers. There was like nothing mm -hmm. out there for them. Or the only thing that was out there was, you know, really kind of expensive and corporate-y and kind of, mm -hmm. um, no, kind of like, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> um, it's not very inspiring to me. So, so what, what do you mean uh, by standing up for testers? Uh, well, I felt like testers needed something better. So, you know, I guess like in my Brighton times, I, I, I went to like deconstruct conferences and local conferences like that. And every time I went to them, you know, I was always like the only tester there, but at the same time, I was always thinking, well, why don't testers have something like this? Testers need something like this. Our, our careers, our, our working lives, our industry could be so much better if we could, 
gather in, in a positive and forward thinking way. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's like the basic idea behind it is that testers didn't have that. The only thing testers had was really expensive and corporate and boring conferences or free conferences where it was all sales pitches and, and people went with suits mm. kind of stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> I think I went to one. And I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't, I can't do this again. Did you wear a suit? No, oh, I probably wore black trousers and like a <laughs> collared shirt. <laughs> yeah. As smart as you were prepared yeah. to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm very much a t-shirt kind of person. We all are now. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a lot of suits in my wardrobe that I've collected over the Those years. Poor suits, and I open it up all the time, and I look at them and think, "When am I ever going to wear them?" <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that was so that was quite a, a big decision at the time. So you you made made that call to turn it into a business, yeah. and then what happened next? It basically grew every year. So um, we always did like the online community fairly fairly well. But um, we started like with one conference and then we had like 60, 70 people at that. And then we did the same thing next year and we added on a bit of training days. So every year we kind of got bigger. Um, like the second year was like, I don't know, 180 people, something like that. The third year was just over 200 and, you know, more training days on it. Um, and I think... It might have been like the fourth or fifth, no, the fifth or sixth year. I can't quite remember. Um, people were asking us to do it in different locations, so we started doing them in different locations. And by 2019, we had done conferences in nine countries around the world within one year, um, and that was all kind of like. To a certain extent like community driven as well like people were coming to us saying they wanted localized conferences and localized meetups as well so at one point we had like a hundred uh, meetups happening volunteer-led meetups happening around the world um but yeah and obviously like covid has impacted that somewhat but you know it's st the it's still it's still going it's still there they're still doing stuff online they're still doing training online We've got like membership, um, yeah, membership options. Um, but yeah, I mean, I stepped back in 2018 from that. Um, most, mostly because I was kind of like not inspired by testing anymore. I kind of lost the enthusiasm for testing as a speciality. And I just wanted to like focus in on something else. I wasn't quite sure what. Um, apart from it needing to be community focused, and then and then is that when indie hackers came about? Yeah, yeah. So that was that was just over two years ago. So it was like January, February time, um, twenty nineteen. Um, so that that was like the time that I was looking to step back from Ministry of Testing. Um, I, I still I still own the company. Um, but I was, I was looking for something else to do and I kept getting sucked back into like doing stuff for Ministry of Testing because it was just there. So I would just mm. like, you know, that, that habit of like showing up, I would, mm. I would keep doing that. But I, I, 
I felt like I really needed to find something else to stop me from doing that and for me to like properly like step back. And so like Indie Hacker started, I think 2016. Um, and they, so Indie Hackers is basically a community for founders uh, with a strong emphasis on like bootstrapped type founders, like self-funded founders. Uh, that's slightly changed over the years as like more funding options have become available but it's still very much focused on like you know the grassroots bootstrappy type type people trying to kind of find and live an independent life um and when indie hackers started uh, they did text-based interviews and i saw i saw them doing them and i volunteered to do one and the, the idea to be, to be interviewed or to interview for them to interview me on ministry of yeah, testing, okay. like to, yeah, to yeah. share my story on, on ministry of testing. And part of the, um, one of the main things about the interviews was like being open about your financial income, the, the revenue and all of that. So that was like one of the, it's probably like one of the only things that I've like been really like put the, t put the time into like share how ministry of testing grew revenue-wise, um, but I was like, one of the first interviews that appeared on the site, it was like number 17, so it's quite early on. It's probably hundreds now, I think. Um, so Cortland, who found it, founded it, he, he, knew, he knew me. Um, and then I was, looking, I was looking for an excuse to hang out on, on Indie Hackers because I wanted to like, I felt like I'd kind of gotten out of touch with what was going on in the world. And I was like, I need, I, need to, I need to hang out there to learn what everybody's talking about again, to see what you know, tools they're using, what kind of you know, um, businesses they're building. But I didn't have that habit of showing up. Um, so, but then one day that I was there, I saw that Cortland was looking for some social media help. And I was like, oh, I should do that. I can, I can get paid to like hang out there and do their social media, which you know I did a lot for for Ministry of Testing, um, and I learn, and that was like my, my focus um, or my reason of like putting my hand up. Cortland was a bit confused when I put my hand up because like he was like, "What about your business? You've got a seven-figure business running. Why why on earth do you want to do this?" <laughs> and I was just like, "I need to do something else," um, <laughs> and. Yeah, so we chatted and then he, in the end, he offered me a community role, which made more sense. And yeah, I was, I was there for two years, like as, as a contractor, we kind of just kept renewing the contract over, over two years. So, so, so I just interrupt again. You, yeah. you, so you've got, your approach seems to be that you find the things you quite enjoy, you sort of, and then you go, right, okay, I quite like this. How can I get paid to do this? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's kind of putting my ego to one side because, like, you know, Cortland was, like, confused and, like, yeah, yeah. most people wouldn't, perhaps wouldn't do that. But at the point, I was like, well, I've got a lot to, I felt like I had a lot to win because, like, I, I saw Indie Hackers as a really interesting community, you know. It was, you know, acquired by Stripe. It, you know, was thriving. It had lots of love for it. And I felt like there was a lot of similarities, like 
with Ministry of Testing and Indie Hackers in the sense of the vibe that, that they both had and the love that the, the community members have for, for both the communities. So I thought, well, I really want to understand how that community runs and, you know, you know how does how does Cortland think about things? How does uh, how are things done day day to day? And you know I thought this you know almost nothing nothing to lose. It's you know it wasn't like um, yeah I, I just didn't think there was anything to lose from spending a bit of time doing that. It wasn't a permanent job. It was a contract gig. You know I was free to walk away at any time. But you know in the end it, it was amazing for me the whole the whole experience. Do you think did did it just help you re- recognize that your your passion was in community? Yeah, definitely. That I think that was the biggest the biggest part for me was was that because I'd spent like over ten years with Ministry of Testing, and I think you can have a lot of self doubt in yourself. It's like, well, I've built up one community. Do I really have it in it? In, do I have it in me to do that again in in, yeah. in a different way? Can I really like bring something special to to the community that I haven't founded, or you know, you know, what can I bring to the table? Am I am I capable of this? And I think these are like kind of like the self doubts that people don't see that like I I have within myself, and I, I probably will always have. Um, is that you don't you know you don't know like you know so I I did I did ministry testing for so long in my own way. You know, and I, you know, just learned as I went, and I had no idea whether whether I could be, uh, you know, whether I could work for someone else on like a long term basis. But that sounds like it's part of the motivation to yeah. just to, the the challenge. It's like, can I? Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I'm doing. That's why you wanted to do something new. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I, I'm I'm so desperate to ask a question, but I'm conscious that Neil is in control of the where we go in these conversations. And I just usually like ask a few daft questions, but the whole, you, you said you moved around until 18, you moved around. Can we go there, Neil? Is this a- Yeah, no, 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 I wanted, I wanted to go there okay, as well. All right, good. I, I'm gonna, right. <laughs> I'm gonna put a pin in where we are. Yeah. So where, where we've got to, so we remember to come back is that you, you've done some time at Indie Hackers and then realize that community is your thing so we're going to we're going to come back to that but yeah maybe if we rewind the clock even further because i I agree with ray i think there's probably some really interesting stuff yeah so is there i was trying to i was trying to guess and i I don't like to do this because sometimes i get it really badly wrong and upset people but it sounds like there's a a hint of scottish accent there hint hint well, this is, see what I'm trying to do. I'm I'm covering my bases that's part of the reason i wanted to ask it because it's definitely it's definitely Scottish, but there's also something else in there, and I can't, yeah. for the life of me, work out what <laughs> yeah. it is. So, yeah, go, pre- let's go right, right back to ch- to childhood. <laughs> pre eighteen. Pre eighteen. Yeah. So, um, I don't have a short answer to describe where where I'm from. Um, I'm not Scottish. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, my husband is. And um, clearly, we've been married way too long because his, <laughs> his accent is like rubbed off on me. Maybe, maybe pre-COVID, you weren't so. Uh... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And now it's you've just become... we've all morphed into the same. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, people ask me a lot if uh, if I'm Scottish, but uh, no, no, I'm not. Um, 
Yeah, so I was born in London. My dad was Irish, my mum's Colombian. I left London when I was nine. I lived in Indonesia for four years. And then I lived in Colombia for five years. Um, very much identify as not feeling very Colombian, not feeling at home in Colombia. So I came back when I was 18, basically on my own, like basically like as soon as as soon as I could. Um, wow. And did you did you basically when you came back at 18, was it that you yeah. came back? Did you have to figure out life yourself? Yeah. Was it was it done to you? Did yeah. you have family in the UK? Uh, not really. I had like an aunt in London, but um, yeah, I didn't like really kind of it wasn't an option. Um, I would go visit occasionally, but yeah, basically on, on my own. Um, so, yeah, I worked basically. Um, I found a job. I found a job in I spent a year like trying trying a college thing. I didn't I didn't enjoy it. So I left and then I came down to Brighton because I had a friend in Brighton and I crashed on her living room couch for a month until I found like my own place um, and found a job. Um, and I just like, you know, found a, a place, a room to rent in Brighton. I was working for Lloyd's TSB. Uh, I got a job like at bank doing like admin stuff. And yeah, I think, you know, I was making like 9K a year which was plenty at the time, uh, more than covered my, my rent. Um, and I did, that, I did that for about two years, I think, or 18 months. I think I lasted 18 months before I kind of went a bit crazy. And then, uh, sorry, just, to, just so we don't get, I don't take you back, keep taking you back too far. The whole, you know, you're born in London, half Irish, half Colombian, uh, living in Colombia, have done for five years, I think you said. Yeah. And you think, right, let's go to London. What what were you expecting? What what was what were you expecting that London would give you, or or, or hoping? Yeah. I, uh, I was just hoping. I think I think in my mind, I thought, well, maybe I can like go go to university at some point. That was the original plan. Was to like, I didn't have any. Uh, diplomas or qualifications so I thought well maybe I'll try to do a levels and then go into university somehow and just like figure that out that was like the original plan um I you know I had no I had no like money to do it I had no financial means to do it my parents didn't really have stuff and when you've been out of the country so long even though like I'm a British citizen or British passport holder it actually gets pretty complicated like they, they start like charging you like international university mm. fees because I've yeah, yeah, been yeah. out of the country so long. So it just and got what, all complicated <clears throat> and I just like kind of gave up on that idea. <laughs> and so what did your what did your parents do? What 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 are the, how did they Yeah, uh good question. Uh all sorts. <laughs> my dad my dad was in marketing when, when he was in London. He had he was like quite, you know, good job in the eighties doing marketing of some sort. Um, and then, yeah, and then my mum was uh, kind of this, I'm trying to think of the best way she, to explain it. She's quite entrepreneurial, but she's very spiritual as well. So she's like, you know, she's qualified as an osteopath. So she did that like independently as like a um, pr practitioner. Wherever she went, she would like treat people. Um, 
and yeah I guess like like when I was in London we had a you know we lived in Battersea we had a nice house in Battersea you know quite quite a nice place to live nothing special just like a three-bed like semi-detached house which is probably worth a lot of money right now <laughs> um, but um yeah I mean like th- there was definitely like a shift in our life like when I left the UK like up until then like my dad or a bit until then my dad had like been like a successful had a successful career had money um or enough you know good career money coming in but then like he he kind of had an accident where he he got hit by a car and I think he was he was never the same after that but I was like two years old when when that happened so it was for him it was like a bit bit of like a slow slow decline like work-wise um but I only remember him for who he was but lots Mm. of people um always said that he was he was never quite the same after after that happened you know he was, he was much more driven before that he was much more like capable professionally wise so um my mom had to kind of take on a lot of stuff um and she, you know she's got her own ways of dealing with things i guess mm-hmm. so it was always I, I guess from from around then it was always like a bit more insecure fin- financially like we left the uk and they sold the house um, right at the peak of the the boom, the housing boom, just before everything crashed. So luckily they sold it at the right time, I guess. But um, yeah, I guess like the years after that were very much kind of like there's there's like a lot a lot moving about, and <coughs> no, you know, my, my parents just like went with the flow after that. So, so you Do you have you were having to having to is maybe not the wrong way of describing it but you had the opportunity to be quite independent by the sounds of it yeah i would say so well all right opportunity or no choice but to be yeah independent. yeah yeah you know um and you know i i you know i don't have any um uh what's the right word um you know i'm not upset and you know i don't feel like hard done by but you know i've definitely worked really hard for everything that I've had yeah Yeah. sure do do, do you have brothers and sisters Rosie yeah I've got one brother and one sister and so and much older or younger than you a a bit older so yeah so I was the youngest um my brother is still still in Colombia um and my sister's like in the US um but yeah I mean we we very much kind of like all went our separate ways I think it's probably the, the right way to say it. My sister ended up going to the US, um, and you know, I came here. And my brother stayed in Colombia. And when your parents made the decision to sell up, and did, was it Colombia that they moved to? The first the, was that the first place that they went. Indonesia, wasn't it? Indonesia. Was it Indonesia? Yeah. Was that them kind of going on an, an adventure? Was that them like j- just mixing up their life and going like let you know? let's go find something new. Yeah, I mean, it was a mixture of things. Like, my brother had health issues, so they they felt like he had to be in a more tropical climate, so that was, like, part mm-hmm. of the reason. Um, and my parents had also, like, previously travelled to and had a flat in, in Jakarta, so that was, like, 
you know, it's like they've got a place there. We, we had a place there to go and live. So I think that was a kind of thinking behind it. Let's do something different. We need to go somewhere hot. Let's let's try Indonesia for a while and see how that goes. Um, and I think I think basically they, they sold the house and then lived off that money for a few years in Indonesia. Okay. And how was it? How was it for for you and school? And you meant you touched on this earlier, but kind of how did you feel about it at the time? And how do you think you adjusted to it? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't remember a huge amount from when I was in the UK. I remember like not being happy about moving. Mm. Um, I think I, I, I yeah. Probably like, you know, like I had a couple of friends and, I, you know, I was just like unhappy the fact that I would like miss out on on, on those kind of things. Um, overall, like, you know, in, Indonesia was all right as, as an experience. We went to like a good school that was there, uh, like an international school, probably an expensive international school. So, you know, overall, that that, that was all right as, as an experience. Um, I, we left when I was 13 um, to go to Colombia. And yeah, Colombia for me, just like, I guess, like at that age, and like not really speaking Spanish properly, um, it was just like the wrong, <laughs> wrong place to go at that, mm. at that time in my life. And I'm guessing you picked up the language when you were there? Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, picked it up as reluctantly. Um, <laughs> didn't have a choice didn't have a choice um <laughs> went to school there actually for a while didn't enjoy it quit school refused to go all that kind of stuff like at that age. really yeah, yeah yeah um so i probably spent at least half the time just like not not going to school and what were you doing with that time uh, not a lot hanging out just being just, just being a kid yeah just hanging out with s- some people that i knew um, yeah not always spending my time very wisely, but <laughs> there you go. Such part of the journey, part of the yeah. journey. <laughs> it it mean all of that. I'm sure you thought about this, but all of that must play a really big role in some of why you are who you are today and what you've become. Because, you, like you said, the the kind of search for community almost certainly is rooted in some of that experience. But I'm sure there's other things as well. Yeah, well, I, I think the other thing that's just popped up in my head is I I seem to remember Neil telling me actually that you've got a few kids. Yeah, just yeah, just a is few. it five? Yeah, it's five. So that's quite a community, isn't it? Yeah, I was yeah, thinking the same yeah. thing. That's what people now refer my family to. So it's my own it's my own little community. <laughs> um, and I feel that I honestly feel that it's like there's there's nothing better than having having your own family and. I guess being able to um, bring them up together in, in the in the best possible way, um, and definitely for us, it's we're trying to do it without moving about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's a reaction to your own experience. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And like, it's hard moving about. It's hard making friends. We moved about a bit when my two older boys were younger. We kind of have you know regrets about that. Um, like we went to Cambridge for, for a couple of years um, and that just like disrupted everything. It disrupted their flow of friendships and stuff like that. And um, and I, I just like, you know, I feel that. And I, you know, often I feel like we shouldn't have moved and stuff. 
but you know, it is what it is. But, um, and then I connect that to my own experiences. And then my three younger kids who are three, six and nine, um, were basically not moving anywhere. And we're just focusing on, you know, developing our own community around us, our own friendships and not, not disrupting that because I think it makes for a better upbringing experience. And how old are your oldest? Uh, 16 and 17. Okay, so you've got 17, 16, 9, 6, 3, is that right? 3. Yeah. Wow. Have people told you that you're crazy? Yeah. <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel like you're yeah, crazy? Yeah. Yeah. That, you, know what, you know what that means, don't you? <laughs> no. We haven't touched on the fact that they don't go to school either. So. And uh, well, we're just coming, we're just coming uh, to that. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, cause that's fascinating. Like, well, I think when I, when we, so there were some emails going backwards and forwards between us, I think I said, um, are you homeschooling them? And this, I think this might've even been pre COVID or it definitely wasn't that language i don't think it was used because of covid it was just the homeschooling and i think you responded i'm unschooling them yeah. which i really really liked yeah. it sounded like something that we really need to explore yeah. so let, let's let's go there oh and also we need to talk about reckless mother as well <laughs> so you yeah. can do that in any any order you want okay i'll, I'll do unschooling <laughs> um and then that'll probably tie into my kind of reckless mother antics um so yeah, I mean, where do I start? Unschooling. I, basically, in a nutshell, I don't believe in, in the education system. And was that the case right from the beginning? So when you had your, your oldest? Yeah, but I did send my kids, my older kids to school for a while. Up until what age? Up until like eight or nine. Okay, so you, you got them through to secondary school? No, not, not no. quite. Oh, no, not quite. Not, Sorry, not yeah, year, just a year know, or two before. So that's like year three, year four in, in, in school years. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I like from the beginning, I kind of wanted to homeschool, but it's it's not easy to like commit yourself to that. There's a lot of sacrifices mm. when, you, when you homeschool, um, especially like going back to like when they were young, going back to like, I guess, 2007. It's like, how do you homeschool in and also have a career and income and and all of that that kind of you know it's it's hard to get your head around and I think it's probably easier now with everything being remote and stuff but you know going back then it was just like um you know how how, how can we do this Is that how can you homeschool and and make mon- money to to live on Mm. Um, you know, a career or a job or anything was quite quite important to me to keep going, just like um, men- mentally. But you know, I, you know, I like to work. Um, you know, I I, re- I really like to work, probably too much. But um... that's because you want to get. <laughs> that's because you want to get away from the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, just quickly, how how does your is your husband does does he feel exactly the same way or? Uh, he does now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, admittedly, it's always been me like pushing for this stuff, but you know, he doesn't disagree. You know, I, okay. I joke about that. He, you know, he, he's he's on board like a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but left to his own devices, he might just take the easy option. I'm not sure he wouldn't now. We we talk about it often, and we okay. uh, and like, I think the grass is always greener on the other side. Like, oh, every month we get tempted to sending our kids back to school especially our younger younger ones 
we, we consider it like all the time, but then we kind of like um, <laughs> slap each other in the face and say, let's stop kidding ourselves. It's not, you know, it won't actually help things. It won't, it won't make things better. Um, Have you heard that quote of the, the grass is always greener? It's because it is all, it is greener because the sun, the sun is shining on it in a way that makes it look really green. And then when you go over there, it's not as green yeah. because now the shuns the sun the way you see the sun is shining in a different way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but yeah. But yeah. So basically, you know, I had always wanted to homeschool, and then we didn't. But then, as ministry ministry of testing was kind of growing, I thought, well, actually, I can do this. I have I've got the flexibility. I'm making some money, um, so I'm going to do it. Um, so I took my eldest out of school, um, and then a couple of months later, I took uh, my the uh, other one, the second. Out of, Can't remember his name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, number it, number it, two. Yeah, number two. A B C. Aaron Ben Cody. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's so much easier to remember, isn't yeah. it? Like, if you do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then yeah, we just like um, first it was me like taking responsibility for it because I, my husband was working. He was doing like some contract work. And, but slowly, like every year we would like, um, just like even, even out the, the responsibilities of look, I guess, looking after the kids is what I, what I would refer to as. Um, as opposed to schooling the kids. Yeah. We don't school them. We don't school them. They don't, they don't, they don't, do any curriculum stuff unless unless they want to if they want to it's fine um but yeah uh, and that's what people don't don't understand is like how, how can you know the, the people just don't realize how capable kids are if they're given the the freedom and the trust um, so they're, they're yeah. self-direct they're self-directing their own learning yeah with, with our guidance with our support we'll yeah. look we'll actively look for things for, for them to do or suggest things like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Are you interested? You know, you want to try can you this? give us some examples, Rosie? Um, yeah. I mean, like my, my nine-year-old, um, he does, he, you know, he's, he's very sporty. So we're always looking for sporty things for him to do. So he does football. He does, he does forest school. He does, um, we asked him today, actually, he's like, do you want to do tennis? And he was like, yeah, I, I'm up for tennis. Um, so we're going to look for someone to like teach him tennis um stuff like that so basically we're looking for the yeses all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than like saying you have to do this um and you know sometimes they're reluctant and sometimes they say no and then we find ways for them to say yes just to try it out to get over that fear um because you're never good at anything when you start it are you yeah exactly so and and part of enjoying it is about getting the hang of it yeah, and it's scary to start new things. And yeah. I think as, as human beings, we need to understand that for, for kids. And I just don't think society actually takes that into consideration with kids these days. No. Like the whole school environment is not, is not really built with that, with that in mind. So when they say yes, they're, they're taking ownership, really, of that decision to say yes. Yeah. And therefore, they're sort of Fully more on- inclined to make it work. They're fully on board. They're engaged. They're motivated. They they learn a hundred times faster. Yeah. Than as they would in, in like a school environment. 
And is there a danger that when you, when, when it's more self-directed, and I appreciate you're giving them probably options, yeah. that, that the options that you're giving them are limited by your, you know, what you know about? Yeah, definitely. And, and I accept there's, there's, there's a lot of risk with us doing it this way. There's a lot, there'll be a lot of knowledge gaps um, as they grow up, they'll, they'll be like, you know, kids who go to school who will know and be better at certain things. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, quite frankly, I don't care. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's a, for me, it's like, it's, it's about, you know, trying to, this whole experience has been about trying to um, build confidence and trust within myself that we're trying to do the right thing. And if, if, I, if I look at what I'm doing and I look at my kids, um, I 100% believe that we've done the right thing for them. They because, have a, because they're happy or because they're what? Uh, it's, it's a mixture of because it's customized well for them, because they're happy. And if we flip it on the side of things that happen in school um, you know we've all heard, we, we hear stories all the time of all the horrible things that can happen in school the, the you know the, the bullying you know you know all these like mental health issues with kids that are a result quite often from school and the school environment all of that gets brushed under the carpet like it's um, you know just like you know it's you know a necessary byproduct yeah and it's like I look at that and I think, you know, <laughs> why why are schools so you know so so loved and so appreciated when all of that kind of stuff is happening mm-hmm. as a byproduct? And I and for me, it's like I choose to focus on on the fact that that I'm not exposing my kids to, to a lot of that stuff. And that, but isn't know, isn't there a isn't there a isn't there a um... Isn't that a necessary part of the process sometimes to be subjected to <clears throat> the the downsides in life? No, absolutely not. So avoid always avoid the downsides if you can. Is that what you're saying? It causes unnecessary distress and health issues and um, or all, all sorts of. It's, it's like it's like saying okay. What, you you need to go and work in a nine to five job for twelve years without any choice. Mm. That's what we do to kids. You don't. You have no choice. You have to go. How would you feel if you weren't enjoying that environment? But okay, so so your um your monthly conversation, you and your husband, like you know, challenging yourselves to put them back into the the system what do you see as the upside of of the upside of not putting them into the system no the upside of putting them in because you're questioning yourselves yeah. as... the, the upside is that we get free time to ourselves right so it's a selfish okay yeah it's yeah, not yeah, so definitely. it's not about them it's, it's not about, about yeah, the yeah, that's okay yeah it's, it's, no, I, it's, I was i was going to it's tiring I, sorry it's bloody tiring like constantly yeah, I bet like, it is. yeah we get no break i think i think i was looking for maybe some of the same stuff that ray, ray was looking for but i was thinking about how to try and it, explain that in a different way i was thinking what what do you so if you take the traditional route of putting them through school 
there is something that you probably fear in who they become. And then the opposite of that for if you do it the way you're doing it and unschool them, there is something you hope for in your kids. So can you, can you describe that to us? What, what, what are you hoping for and what are you seeing in the kids at the moment? And maybe how does that counter with the kids that they know that are in the schooling system? Yeah. So what we hope for and what we're definitely seeing is a really strong family bond. Um, we we work together closely as a family. Our kids are um, friends, at least most of the time. There, there are obvious ex- exceptions. I'm you know not trying to paint like a perfect picture, but um, you know our kids have a strong bond. They we we have this philosophy where the the the, eld- the older kids teach the younger kids stuff, and that runs through our whole family. So my my nine year old teaches. Okay, so let's do this. So my 17-year-old is currently teaching my nine-year-old maths with Khan Academy, as an example. Our 16-year-old helps look after our two youngest ones uh, for an hour or two a day, especially during this kind of started in COVID, but, you know, he's he's there to help out. Our 16-year-old hangs out with our nine-year-old playing Bionicles um, to to help him out, Uh, you you know, develops a bond. Our nine-year-old teaches our six-year-old to uh, to play Minecraft, um, and it goes down like that. Our, our six-year-old plays with our, our three-year-old, um, and presumably yeah. the three-year-old teaches you and your <laughs> husband stuff, and it's all That's nice, be, well, it nice and circular. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. probably, yeah. But you don't you don't get that with, with when your kids go to school, and it's not necessarily because it's a, it's a school's fault. It's just because there's no time in life to do that kind of Rosie, stuff. Rosie, I just, I just want to jump in and yeah. say that I don't know what answer I was expecting, but that was a really beautiful answer because I, I'm just, I just want to take a minute to reflect on the fact that we, we talked about community and used it as kind of a label to mean different things. But you just described something that I'm sure most people would listen to that and go, wow, that sounds great. You know, of course, like you say, it's not, it's not going to be perfect, but it sounds very different to a lot of what a lot of people are accepting yeah. from life. But, but also that downside um, of you and your husband not having the time that maybe other people have, that if you're not careful, that can have a knock-on effect as well, can't it? Because, you know, you, you've got to look after yourselves, the two of you, you can look after yourselves if you can look after them. So it is a genuine... It, yeah, it is. But um, also I think, like, if you send your kids to school, there's, there's a lot of things that suck up your time you end up doing a lot of things that take a lot of time that are just you know very stressful as well like school runs like Mm. we we don't have to worry about any of that like our kids get up when they get up um and they make themselves breakfast Uh, my nine-year-old rolls out of bed and reads for a bit Uh, he he doesn't tend to have breakfast these days he goes like you know he like has lunch um you know all these kind of things you think oh it must be so hard you know like managing your kids but it's not that hard when they when they have their routine and they, they manage manage themselves. And, so, and they're independent. And they're independent. And my nine, 16, 17 year old are very independent. My six year old, you know, is too too young to expect that, but she's she's you know getting there in, in many ways. Our three year old, you know, she's a, f- a few years off. But um, the fact that they all like you know kind of collaborate, work together, support each other. It doesn't mean like we're always there trying to do stuff with them and trying to teach them stuff. It's more like how can we 
make sure that you know everyone's kind of got something to keep them busy and that's kind of like how we how we approach things so is, is is everyone happy is everyone keeping busy with something um and if the answer is yes then you know life life is good um how how pro are the kids about this how pro yeah how accepting are they of being unschooled uh very accepting yeah uh, they they have the choice to go to school if they want uh, and that's what you've kept that open for all yeah, of them so if they want to go they just get the option to go yeah if they want um that's great um yeah well i have no no issues with that if that's what they want and the and the other burning question i have is i i've got a six-year-old and i'm pretty sure that if i gave him a screen 24 7 he'd sit in front of a screen 24 7 maybe he wouldn't but i feel like he might do um is that something that's been a problem for you or something you've had to manage it's 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 definitely one of those um things that is hard to become accepting of um i spend at least eight, yeah, no, eight I, hours a day i was gonna say yeah. the irony of me saying that when i'm <laughs> totally happy being in front of a screen yeah, yeah. um so I, I guess like the way we approach it is we give them the freedom they they, they have lots of freedom but um, we also have rules um, as a family and the rules will differ per kid depending on their age um, definitely like when they're teenagers um, we've given up telling them what they can and cannot do it's like it's, it's up to them there's like no point um, and I, I think people will be surprised that if you do that then the, the kids actually can self-manage to, to a certain extent um, and yes they do spend a lot of time in front of the screen one of mine spent like doing nothing but kind of play play games for for two years um and that and that's really hard to to watch but actually at the same time he wasn't just playing games he was also working out so he works out every day as well and i don't tell him to work out he goes he goes and he does it and by himself he's he's researched everything that he needs to do to become the, the strong person that he, he he is now he's like really really strong um so yeah i mean it's it, it's it's really a tough one um i think some some unschoolers are like do whatever you want and i th- i think that's okay when they're older mm. um i don't necessarily think it's okay when they're younger so mm. like with our 9 year old he he doesn't get unlimited screen time but we have rules of when he does go on and when he you know when, when he needs to come off mm-hmm. um but he's fine with that he's got no issue um but you know he he i think the important thing is that he understands the reasons why we have those rules and we mm-hmm. explain them to him and we we try to, to to live by those rules as much as possible as well and he he understands that and he respects that and you know we kind of work, work together on things um around that but yeah i mean it's like with with all our kids it's just like if we give them the choice to go out or be on the screens you know, most of the time they choose to go out. Mm. How does this link up to the Daily Mail calling you a reckless mother? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it links up to the fact that um, 
Well, if it's the day, if it's the Daily Mail, then yeah. you're probably quite happy with it, won't you? I thought. <laughs> I, I, I was hoping to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess in a roundabout way, um, I dropped my son off at a football club, um, that, or a football class that he goes to in New Haven, and I went running with one of my other children. Um, and so I, I run with a buggy. Um, so like of course, a of course, of course, it's the only way I can get exercise in sometimes. So it's like, yeah. you know, this is how my mind kind of works. You can lift them above your head as well. <laughs> yeah, especially the older ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I have done that lots of times. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a windy day uh, when I went running by the uh, New Haven Harbour kind of area. It was like waves, waves splashing up. And I stopped to take selfies because I, I, I like to take selfies. Um, it was completely dry where I was standing from, uh, where I was standing at. And, um, but you know, big splash of waves as you get, as the waves knock against, against the side. And there's a bit, there's a bit of a, like a cliff nearby. Um, and someone was, taking photos of me like doing that um, and then you know a story came out they didn't name me because they had no idea who I was I, I had no idea I was being fo photographed um, and it just came out along the lines of uh, I'm gonna have to google the, the headline of what they exactly said just a second It would have been a much better story if they'd been able to find you and talk to you. It wouldn't have been a story. Well, I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know if the Daily Mail could cope with yeah, it. Yeah. So, so here it is. Mother with pram stops to take a selfie, just yards away from fifteen-foot waves hitting a seawall during storm Bronag. So that's like how they pitched it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I had no idea that that even you know I I, I didn't know that I was being photographed, and then. Two or three days later, someone DMs me on Instagram and they said, is this you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, it is. Um, I, 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 and did it, did it upset you in any way or were you just like, oh, God, this is ridiculous? At first, I was, I was, I was worried. I was like, what, what is this? Um, and, you know, stuff like when, when you homeschool, especially unschooling, um, you you don't want people to meddle in your life. You don't mm. want the, the authorities to come snooping in. And that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, if, if someone takes us seriously and, and knows it's me, you know, is social services going to come and, and question yeah. me? Um, but, I, you know, so I spent like a couple of hours worrying. But then like, um, yeah, I, said, I was like, oh, sod it. Um, I don't care. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it, and I'm gonna brand myself with it. Yeah, yeah. To turn it into something positive. Yeah. So, so presumably, you've got that page framed somewhere in your house. <laughs> I don't. I never got a, a, like a printed copy, which is a shame. Oh. I, th I think there were actually printed copies around somewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just use the. Um, I use screenshots of, of the images and I've got recklessmother.com now. I don't know if you've seen that. And I've got, <laughs> I've got, I've got a logo. 
with a wave brilliant <laughs> on it <laughs> and there's a community there. there there is there is it's like on my bucket list um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> my bucket list of communities definitely um let's uh that was a really lovely deviation but i think it also helps us understand a bit more about who you are and kind of what's what's motivating you um because it really does feel like the the community aspect is playing out in every part of your life and that the the schooling thing is a kind of deliberate a very deliberate move for um for living living life in the way that's right for you so I, I kind of um yeah really admire that um but coming back to where we left off then so indie hackers and you just found your yeah i think you sort of uncovered that it was community that was the thing and then i think you made the call to move on to the next thing what what as much as you want to tell us like what what is the next thing and um what what is it that you're searching for now do you think uh oh big question yeah so i did indie hackers for two years i think like after two years of doing that i was kind of i guess a bit bored that's probably the best way of explaining it I, I felt like I wasn't growing or learning, so I felt like I had to move on. Um, it was actually really tough to kind of make that decision because, like, I honestly, like, kind of fell in love with the whole community. And it kind of, obviously, I worked hard for it, but it did a lot for me as um, raising my confidence and, I guess, raising my ego slightly. <laughs> um and just getting my name out there. So like over the course of the two years I was I was there, uh, when I started, like no one like in the indie world or startup world knew about me really, because like with all my ministry of testing stuff, people in the testing world knew about me, but no one outside of that world knew me. But mm. spending the, the two years kind of tr trying to build build up my reputation, I guess and following and people knowing me for community building. I, like, I managed to do that at Indie Hackers. And I, I very much believe that I, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have that opportunity with Indie Hackers. So from, from that perspective, you know, I'm always going to be grateful for what Indie Hackers gave me. Um, but it's, it wasn't it wasn't my community you know I had the freedom to walk away and I felt like I was a bit stuck at, at that point in two years so I decided to leave um, and yeah I struggled I struggled for like probably three months four months making that decision hmm. um, I kept trying trying to hold on for a bit to you know in the hope that maybe some things would change or you know I would get to do maybe other things but I just want to jump in yeah. really quickly because I think there's something interesting in what you're talking about here that people, that lots of people can probably relate to and it might help some people. But this feeling of you, everything's great. You're kind of in love with maybe the people, with the safety, with um, the environment. But you, I think what you said is I wasn't growing and I wasn't learning. Yeah. And I think that if you're not growing and you're not learning and you're somebody that feels like they need to learn and grow, it doesn't matter how good everything else is yeah. unless you grow and learn, you're not probably not going to be happy, I think. And then, so it sounds like you reached a point where maybe you realized that and said, okay, well, I've got to, I've got to prioritize my growing and learning. And if I can't do it here, then that's the thing that's got to give. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. 
and that's tough because it's like you have to leave a community behind almost um not that i left it behind you know i still hang out there um but it, you know it's it's definitely tough and there's you know other aspects that come into play in the fact that as a woman in tech i was i was somewhat attached to the idea that i really wanted to continue leading indie hackers as a community because i wanted to represent more women in tech mm. Mm. and me stepping back stops that massively i think um not unless it could be another woman that takes yeah takes the i don't think that's going to happen um and i know that i knew that um so yeah so that you know that kind of plays on like my emotions you know mm. a, lot, a lot of the decisions i make are, are very emotional ones and very like personal ones so um you know it just it just made it tough um but yeah at the end of the day I, I had to kind of just move on to other things i was just going to you know i handed in my notice and i was just going to kind of focus on rosyland as like a project so like rosyland was i had started it as a newsletter and then I turned it into a paid newsletter and I was I'm working my way of turning it into a community, um, basically for community builders. So I spent like the past 18 months working on that, writing, publishing. So yeah, that was my plan. Um, it seemed like that was going really well. I, I saw it quoted on something I follow called trends.vc. Do you know, do you know? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that, that I, they seem, their research is really good and I was quite, I was quite excited to see you on there actually, because it felt like, wow, look, Rosie's been featured on trends. That's because it's almost like a, a very different sub community that are showing up for a very different reason. So seeing you there looked really interesting. Yeah. And it's still going, you know, I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm, you know, plugging away at it. Um, and I guess like with the questions, like what, you know, what was, why did I leave Indie Hackers and what's next? And like everything that's next for me is a, is about diving deeper into community building and figuring out how to build better communities. Like with the, with the rise of COVID, it's like the, the startup and tech world has gone like community crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a bit fr frustrating to be honest. It's exciting, but it's it's frustrating. Um, when I when I announced that I was leaving Indie Hackers, like I got so many like inquiries for jobs. I've never had that in my life before. Um, but you know, so many people like pinged me, um, you know, was that, was that hard? Did that, did it, do you feel as though that distracted you in a good or a bad way? It, yeah, it, it was, it was a bit distracting, but to be honest, I, I already had a job offer by that point that I had kind of accepted. Um, <laughs> but I just hadn't told anyone. Um, yeah. So basically I, I handed in my notice at Indie Hackers and then around that same time, there's like a two or three week gap until I announced it. And then ar around that same time, I was like, speaking to um, Orbit, which is um, a community tools company. And I had known like the founder from a few months back. He was on my paid newsletter. Um, he was like reading everything I wrote, <laughs> basically. I, I looked at the stats and he was like one, one of the top top readers of, of my newsletter. Um, and I was on his podcast 
um, back in November. We, uh, I spoke with him. We had a great, you know, really nice conversation. And then, and then I was like, kind of like thinking, it's like, well, if there's one company that I'd, I'm curious about is is Orbit, um, partly for what they do, but also partly because of of Patrick, the the co-founder. He seemed like you know just a really good guy. So I thought, well, you know, if it, I, if this a company that I would work for, it it might be them. So and I knew they were hiring, but I didn't. I didn't like <laughs> have the courage to like reach out. I was like trying to convince myself. I was like, you know, go full time indie hacking. Do 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 that, Rosie. Go on, do that, do that. Um, <laughs> but then, like, I, I was going to email him like one day, and and I chickened out. And then he emailed me the next day, basically saying same, more or less the same thing. So I was like, oh, this is like. I'm going to take this as like the stars are aligning, so I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to chat with him, um, and then yeah, so it's like they they offered me a job, um, and the reason for me is like they 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 were probably the only company I would consider working for because like everything that I want to do at the moment is basically around um, changing or studying or researching the world of communities. And I'm doing that with them as much as I'm doing it with Rosie Land. So, you know, for me, it, it, it aligns with what, what I want to do. Mm. Um, and, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to kind of work with them, um, educate more people, write stuff, um, explore better, better ways of, of building communities. Um, I think there's just, like, so much room for figuring out how to how to do all the stuff and there's really not a lot of um in my opinion information out there mm. you said earlier that you feel as though community solves almost every problem yeah and i felt as though that wasn't a throwaway statement no so can you take a second to tell us more about how you think think about that yeah just a second i just realized i'm almost out of power um Sorry, I that's all right. It's good to see. I love it when techies have tech problems. <laughs> it just makes all of us feel so much better. I've been moving my stuff around. Right, Rosie's disappeared now. She's probably gone to, I don't know educate a child or take selfies <laughs> on the edge of the cliff outside our house do we have a look at where we're at ray yeah good hour hour 20 because we, we might want to yeah cut yeah that. okay yeah let's do that there we go Are you back i'm back she's back she's back <laughs> she's on charge I'm ready to go. Ready to rumble. Here we go. <laughs> Round two. <laughs> um, yeah. Where were we? So the question was, you, you said that uh, you feel as though communities are the the solution to most problems or words to that effect. Yeah. 
And I thought that was a really interesting statement. I felt like it wasn't a throwaway statement. So I wanted to just take a minute to go back there and get you to tell us some more about how you think about that. Yeah, I need to refine my thinking on, on it a bit. But um, I, th I think it applies to so, so many things in lives, in, in our lives. So if I, if I look at it, maybe like from a family perspective, um, as society these days, we're, we're very individualistic. We, you know, we're very focused on our, our individual needs. To get help, we need to pay for help. We don't, we don't have family close by. It's hard to make friends if you're like moving about a lot. Uh, if you've got kids, um, childcare is, is, you know, a pain. <laughs> you know, if, if you're if you're unwell, as you know, can you know happen? It's you know, it's it's just very hard to like have a real sense of community around you when things when things aren't going well and everything's like really transactional. So if if you've got health issues, for example, you, you rely on the social healthcare system rather than the people around you as much. Um, it's, it's hard to get people to support you, um, partly because you don't have the time to build up those relationships, partly because everyone's so busy um, and, you know, stuff like that. So I think like as, as like a society, um, if, if we like figured out a better way to build community between all of us, you know, at, at you know, a local level and, you know, take that all the way up through tech as well, you know, how can you use tech to, to you know, support creating stronger communities? I just see, I think it would solve so, so many problems. Mm. Um, if you think like families, you know, they don't need to rely on paying for childcare that's all built into into the system it's like you know legalized and you know by law you're not allowed to look after someone else's kid for more than two hours in a day is that right yeah but, really yeah um, i think at least until the age of five you, you know if, if you look into rules of like becoming like a child carer and stuff like that it's two two hours a day you're not supposed to um so you know stuff like that. It's like, what, why, why on earth do, do rules like that exist? And why can't like we come together as as human beings and and support each other? Because it's not because is it because it's not tax? It can't be taxed. Probably um, that's a big reason for it. You know they want everyone to work. They want you know um, everyone to spend money. And it, it, for me, it's just like I, I think we can simplify things if we can work together as as communities even if they're like micro communities and you know um small groups of family working together over years um to help each other out um you know i i hate the transactionalness of childcare. Mm. i absolutely hate it like you know when i look into like childminders or stuff like that for for my younger ones i i really hate it because there's no longevity in it. There's no like relationships being built up. My my kids will make friends, but then um, one of them leaves, and that's their friend gone, um, mm. and they have to start over. Um, it's not. It's not a natural process. It's not. I don't think it is, and I think that's what drives me. Is like trying to find more natural ways of of connecting, and be more resilient together. Um, 
in the most practical sense, I mean, I'm very, I'm very practical. Like the way I think about things, I'm very practical and not, not very kind of wishy-washy, I guess. But um, at the same time, I think a lot of, you know, meaningful stuff happens when, when we spend time together and find, find ways to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and even me as a community person, I feel like I'm lacking on that. I'm lacking on the, you know, I wish it was like more people like me, <laughs> crazy people like me. <laughs> to, to you know spend spend a bit more time together for for my sake and for my family's sake mm. um i i need to do more of that and i recognize that i want it um so. and what, what is it that what is it that prevents people from I, I met somebody a couple of weeks ago who lives in a village and he's lived there for um at least 20 years same village same house yeah and he doesn't know his neighbours. Crazy, right? And, and he works in London and he travels back to this village. He, he's in very early and gets back, you know, I don't know, seven, seven o'clock in the evening, maybe a bit earlier. And he doesn't know, he doesn't really know his neighbours. And it just seems such a missed opportunity um, for him and his neighbours because yeah. he's, a, he's a really nice guy. You know, he he would he would be he'd be a great neighbour, um, yeah. and I. So, what is it that stops him, and all of us to a certain yeah. extent, being brave about introducing ourselves, doing more than just nodding as we walk out the front door? What what is it that stops us from doing that? I don't know. You know, it's a fear. It's a, I, I don't know, life. I think it's probably a combination of so many factors. So, like, um, we're all so busy. We have our minds elsewhere. We don't, well, I think we, that's a, definitely a big, yeah. big part of it. We're, we're, we're knackered. Yeah. It, it, and it takes a bit of energy, doesn't it, to stop and talk to somebody. And as you say, if they're a bit different, if they're significantly older than you, significantly younger than you, or whatever... Yeah. other flavor they are to you then there's a difference there that maybe we're all a little bit afraid of i've got another answer so you, are you familiar with dunbar's number yeah yeah so as i understand it is i think he was a philosophist or something and he and he decided that human beings can only maintain um meaningful relationships with i think 150 people is it yeah something like that and i it seems to make sense to me um and I, I reckon that your guy in the village has far exceeded his 150 people way outside the village. And I wonder if maybe most, so if you think back to times when we were, like we, we literally only knew the people that were within a mile's radius of us, then you'd get your Dunbar's number there. Mm. I, did, I did say this on Tuesday, actually. I was... I met somebody. What did you conclude? I was playing volleyball with someone and I met somebody new. And I said, if I remember your name, that means somebody has to drop off of the list. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely reached capacity. So I'm sort of inside. It's more than 150, but uh, I think that's right. There is there is a meaningful relationships is, is the thing, isn't it? You can remember people's names or their faces, but to have meaningful relationships means you've got to invest some sort of time and energy. So maybe. 
and it, it definitely links back up to being too busy I think so. Busy doing or, stuff. Or, yes. Well, too busy or not prioritizing the right things. Because I think yeah. if we prioritize community, we would find that the that that gives us a very good return on our investment of our time mm-hmm. and energy energy compared to some other crap thing we're spending our time doing. So, yeah. Rosie, there's one, one other thing I just want to explore for a second, if that's okay. Yeah. That a few times you've said things that have made me think you seem like somebody who is doing work on themselves. You seem like somebody who is noticing your strengths and weaknesses, challenging yourself when you feel like you need to push yourself. And the main purpose of this podcast is to try and figure out how and why people do that. And I, I wonder, so my question is, are you aware of doing, how consciously are you doing that? I'm I'm very conscious, I think. (laughs) I, you know, I feel like I'm still a very incomplete person. Um, I definitely have self-doubts. I definitely like feel out of my depth. I, I started a new job recently um, and it's just like, whoa, what have I done? Um, <laughs> is this the right thing? Um, what, what tools and you can read tools to be as broad as you want it to be. Yeah are you using to improve? Uh, good question. Um, I, you know, I guess, you know, I try to remain positive as, you know, overall as I can. I try, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I believe in change. I believe things can change. Um, you know, you know, I, I, I think, my, my, I mean, my husband says this to me a lot. It's like, you know, people, I see myself very differently to how other people see me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just Rosie doing my thing. Um, <laughs> crazy Rosie doing her thing. And to be honest, I guess like, if we're thinking tools wise, these days, I can only do what, I believe I need to do. Um, and I guess on top of that, we're financially okay to allow me to choose to do what I want to do. Um, and that doesn't mean like we're like rich and got money in the bank, but it means that I'm empowered to choose what I want to do in the sense that for example, like I wanted to leave Indie Hackers. I left Indie Hackers because it wasn't right for me and it wasn't because of the money. It wasn't because I was worried about not having money. Mm. And there's a huge, huge difference in that to, to know that at, at any point I, I can quit. Um, mm. I can quit my current job if I wasn't happy. I'm not implying that <laughs> in case my boss listens <laughs> to that. But, you know, it's just like, you know, it's that mindset. It's like I'm... As a family, we're you know we're we're okay financially at the moment, and that enables me to focus only on the things that I'm passionate about, and that's amazing, I think. And as a tool, I think that's or a mindset. I think I wish that's how like people could live. Mm. Is you know focusing on on what you want to do and like everything my mind is on at the moment. 
is communities. And that's, and all, it, that's all I want to do. And um, it, it sounds like you're in a position, you've got yourself to a position over the years where you're, you're just not, you're not afraid of losing something. Yeah. Because you, you've got this independent streak that you seem to, seem to have had from a, as a kid, that you're independent, you sort of, you take personal responsibility, you know that you can sort something out, even if you were to go back to testing, you know, for a bit, you know, which I know, yeah, that was a, a face pulled by Rosie there. So <laughs> it doesn't sound like that's going to happen, but it, you've got a safety net, you know, you're not afraid of losing what you've got. And I think a lot of people when they have, jobs you know and i've probably been in this position myself you know you, you, you it's the fear that's keeping you somewhere and it's really quite unnecessary a lot of time to have that fear because you can find you you're good you're good enough to find work elsewhere and it just seems such a such a unhelpful motivator to be afraid of losing something but then i think that, that maybe just to provide a counter argument to that, that that there is also this reality that the like people have mortgages and kids yeah and oh yeah it's totally... and then and then they feel trapped to a degree because they, they are yeah yeah, yeah and, absolutely absolutely and, and, and there's a there's, there's a huge amount at risk if if you don't make the right decisions, like we've been without mm -hmm. money, it was a terrible. You know, that like, I will not go back there, and, that, and that's like one of my my motivators. Kind of like, I guess there were two aspects. Like, as a teenager, there was like no money. Like my parents like ran out of money, and then as uh, like 2010 ish, we we would we, were not doing great with money, and that was just like not a great position to be in. And that's been like a huge motivator for us to kind of figure out how, how can we live the life we want to live um and, and just focus you know do 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 what we believe in but at the same time is that reality slaps you in the face is that you can, often you can't just quit and not do stuff and if if i take if i take the example of ministry of testing which many people won't realize but like like I, I measure, I measure things um, according to the age of my kids. So, um, <laughs> so I remember when my six-year-old was born, I knew that I didn't want to do a ministry of testing anymore. But it took me four years to actually be able to leave. Mm, yeah. And that, and that's that was like so tough. Like, like it's like, yes, it's this seven-figure business, but I'm also <laughs> stuck in it, and I can't leave. Mm. it's um can't, you can't quit a business that's like growing like that and it, it, it took me four years to, f to figure out how to leave to find to, to hire someone to train them up to feel confident that it would survive without me um and you know i'm very happy with like the direction it's gone but it also yeah four years you know you can't quit your job yeah um, yeah yeah and that, and that feeling like sticks with me, but you know, it was a sacrifice we, we made. Um, obviously I could have just shut it down. You know, that's always an option, but I, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I sacrificed myself for the sake of the community is, is how I often think. Um, but 
you know, it's, I think it's, it's easy to say, yes, just quit. Yes. Just go and do what you want. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What, what I'm saying is that if you're in a job and your motivation is to avoid losing the job, that's not great. Yeah. But there's, there's also like society, they paint, they paint a picture like it's easy to go out and make a bunch of money. It's easy to go out and build success or, you know, there's, you know, read the story about, you know, so-and-so made, you know, X amount of money. You can do the same kind of thing. So I think, you know, I think it is easy to get sucked into the potential idea of you can make it on your own. But yeah. the reality is like, yes, you can, but it's most definitely going to be like a five-year journey and not like a six-month one. Yeah. So, so if you can, if you can plan that into, in, into, into your life plans that, you know, that for me is like the, the realistic option. And, and, and if you have that in your mind as, as a plan to get out, it kind of gives for me i think it gives you hope <laughs> at the end of the tunnel mm. it's, it's that light mm. at the end of the tunnel that that you're working towards something and that you can see yourself getting out of the position that you that you're currently in and and that's 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 what that's what i yeah. think is so important that you're working towards something not looking behind you yeah you know afraid of something that's that's coming up behind yeah. you so you're actually you know, you're moving towards that. And it really doesn't matter what that is in a way. It just gives you some direction and some impetus to move forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, sometimes sometimes I think it is necessary to move away from things, you know, bad relationships, um, whatever it might be. But so sometimes it is absolutely necessary. But to really thrive... It's about moving towards something. And it doesn't matter what that is because the minute you take one step forward, that direction might change a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's what it feels like you're, you're, you're always like looking forward, which can be quite frustrating, I imagine, because you're never satisfied because yeah. there's always something else to achieve. But, hey, that's, <laughs> you know, you don't really have a choice in that by the sounds of things. It's just the way you are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like, um, like with Rosyland, I, I just started it as like a simple newsletter um, about 18 months, maybe two years ago now, coming up to two years. Um, but like, if I look back to where I was then and to where I am now, I didn't have plans to turn it into a paid newsletter. I didn't have plans to do a course that, that I'm, I'm doing at the moment. I had no plans for that. I, I thought, you know, this, I'm just doing a newsletter. Um, but you know, if I if I look back at how far I've come, you know, it's been you know it's been a great journey, um, and I can only imagine where where I'll be with that in, in a year's time. I don't know where I'll be, but it will definitely be much further along than where I am now. So, are are you saying it, it, it's it's about it's about having this direction as sort of maybe something that's sort of shining, something on the horizon type thing that gives you the direction, but just taking one step at a time? Because once you start the newsletter, then you suddenly go, oh, hang on you know, maybe I could make this a paid newsletter. And it's not until you've taken that step that you can really work out what mm. the next steps are. Yeah, it's, it's habit building. I mean, I talk, I talk mm. a lot about habit building. Um, so like when I started my newsletter, it was a curated newsletter of just a few links per week um, around things that I found uh, around community building. And then after a few months of doing that, 
um, I had that habit in place of doing that once a week. I really wanted to start like writing down my thoughts about community building. Um, but I, I, I tried for like a couple of months and I just like couldn't, couldn't like find the time to do it. And I was like so frustrated with myself. I was like, how am I gonna build this writing habit? Um, and I decided that, well, I, I know myself, I know that if I pay in customers, I'm gonna have to write. <laughs> so so I, I was using Substack and I just switched the Substack on with payments and I stuck a price on it. And I said, I'm gonna write an article a week. If you wanna come and pay, come pay. Um, and I got like, even before announcing it, someone subscribed. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, and then like, after I announced it like a few days later, just like a super casual thing, I got like my first 10 subscribers. And, and that was like the, the, that point where I was like, oh, oh God, I, I'm gonna have to write now every single week. Um, and I've done that practically, you know, like every, every, every week I've published something. And I've never done that before in my life. And that's like last July, I started that. Um, so that's, you know, that's been great. And now I can't imagine my life without publishing something every week. So, so what you've done there, you sort of, you've put yourself in a position where it's more difficult to back out. Yeah, it'd be, yeah, really, really awkward to back out. <laughs> yeah, which, which is, which is, a, which is a quite a good tactic, really. Yeah, it, it doesn't make it easy. I've definitely like had late nights, like, yeah, you know, but- staying up trying to publish something i've written stuff and then binned it you know and then written it something else like entirely just because you know i wasn't happy with stuff you know stuff like that is it's definitely not not been easy but um you know no regrets at at all um like i mentioned earlier that you know newsletter helped me get the job that that i have now and all these things like lead on to things that you just don't plan for you don't expect the law of unintended consequences it's (laughs) Mm. yeah Rosie, where can people find you? Uh, if they're into yeah. community building, or earlier when you said, "I need," I know I need to find more crazy Rosies. <laughs> if there are some crazy Rosies listening to this, where should they go? I've got a crazy Rosie. Yeah, <laughs> you, <laughs> you have actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, probably Twitter's the best place. Uh, Rosie Sherry on Twitter. I'm there most most days. Um, cool. Okay. Yeah. If not, Rosie.land is like my community kind of side project thing. And it's been an absolute joy getting to know you a bit and finding out a bit about your community. And I really, really hope that one day I get to meet your kids and see how interesting they are and they've become because of unschooling them. They probably won't talk to you, you know that. Well, <laughs> well that's fine, I could do with that. It's just like, like my own kids. Uh, uh, awkward, <laughs> awkward teenagers and shy, yeah. shy little kids. Yeah. Lovely. Cheers, yeah. Rosie. Thanks so much. It's been great. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thanks, Rosie. That's it folks. For show notes, head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links, a quick summary and you can also explore other conversations. If you're enjoying this podcast then please tell your friends, give us a good rating and remember to subscribe. We're also really keen to hear your feedback so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on Twitter. You can tweet us at lifedonediff, that's double F.